Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, April 4th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Broadway World's Julie Musbeck. James is not here because he is seeing Scott Pilgrim, Captain America, and General Butt-Effing Naked in Lobby Hero tonight. So Julie and I are doing the BWW double team on Today on Broadway. But while James is not here... I'm going to start the show off with a little bit of news that will be especially exciting for him because today, probably already, it's already happened by the time this comes out on his favorite podcast, which ironically is not this one or anything else on Broadway radio. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tommy Kale are the guests on this week's The West Wing Weekly going through their episodes not out when we're recording, but it looks like if they're going in chronological order, which they are, it looks like they are up to season four, episode 20 which is evidence of things not seen, in which a late-night staff poker game is continually interrupted by crises, and CJ tries to convince Toby and Will, that's Joshua Molina, the host of the podcast, that an egg will stand on its end during the vernal equinox. So hopefully Lynn will do like a freestyle rap about whether or not an egg can stand on its own or not. But Julie, I'm afraid to ask this question, uh, but seeing as how you are um, a decade or so younger than I am, were you watching TV when the West Wing was a thing? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. While it was going on or afterwards? Like, did you do a catch up after it had either started airing or finished airing? I definitely saw the last season live on TV. I don't remember if I had seen the others before that, but it would have been in the time when I had to like go to the library and rent the DVDs and actually watch those or get them from Netflix. Okay. When you got DVDs from Netflix, because you used to do that, yeah. guys. I know the the Utes out there won't believe it. You can actually still get DVDs from Netflix, believe it or not. You there can. are certain things that I try to watch at times, and they're like, nope, only if you have the DVD option. And I'm like, who the hell has the DVD option? But no one. Nobody. Nobody under the age of 97. But anyway, okay, Julie, that's the uh, podcast alert for everybody, including James. Let's get on to the real news. All right, so first up, Broadway convinces Cuomo to renew the tax credit. Yes, on Monday night, a friend of the show, Mark Hirschberg from Forbes, reported that last week, theater producers and presenters convinced New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to renew the Empire State Musical and Theatrical Production Tax Credit Program for another four years at its current limit of $4 million. According to Hirschberg, the legislation allows producers to run technical rehearsals for their touring shows in upstate New York to claim a 25% credit for certain costs on their tax returns. Now, James and I often joke about how national tours always seem to start in Schenectady, but this is actually the reason that they start in Schenectady or Syracuse or Buffalo. According to Hirschberg, more than 11 national tours have chosen to start their runs in New York during the last four years that this program has been going on, including The Color Purple, the redesigned Lion King that launched, uh, I believe, in 2016, and Anastasia will be launching from Schenectady later this year. Despite the program's apparent success, Cuomo had hoped to delay the renewal, along with nearly three dozen other tax incentives, in order to increase the state's short-term revenue. He then seemed to decide not to renew this specific incentive at all before Broadway producers and presenters were able to convince him otherwise last week. With the tax break, productions bring a significant amount of investment 
to upstate New York, not only in those specific theaters, but to the communities around them, in addition to the numbers of the high number of jobs that these tours provide in the area, especially in terms of theater technicians. Now, Julie, you don't live in upstate New York, but I will say if, you know, you miss a show on Broadway, Schenectady is probably a train to get up to Schenectady. I heard it's lovely in the fall when a lot of tours launch. Nope, that has to be a cool area. I know I have a friend who works up in Albany at a theater there. There's a lot of really cool stuff up there that I don't think gets enough attention. But the only thing I've done in upstate New York or oopstate New York is um, Niagara Falls. I love Niagara Falls. I've been multiple times. Of course, the Canadian side is, you know, a little nicer. You know, shout out to uh, <laughs> Broadway World's own Canadian Alan Henry on that. But uh but yeah, I, I think there's, you know, we joke about Schenectady all the time uh, just because it's so random, but um, lots of very cool things. Buffalo's great as well. So anyway, good. I'm glad that uh, they were able to keep this incentive for folks uh, doing shows upstate. Okay, so up next, we have an update on the driver who was responsible for the death of Ruthie Ann Miles' daughter. Yeah, also yesterday, the New York Daily News provided an update into the case of Dorothy Bruns, who was accused of driving the car that killed the daughter of Tony winner Ruthie Ann Miles and the son of Lauren Liu earlier last month. Bruns' poor health, apparently, is now at the heart of the investigation. The Daily News is reporting that she suffered a seizure before running the red light and hitting the families. As we mentioned last month, Bruns has a history of driving-related citations, including running of red lights and speeding in school zones. But apparently, she also has a history of health issues that are playing into this case. Bruns has multiple sclerosis and had to take at least a month-long leave from work in January of this year before returning. And apparently she had a cardiac emergency that required emergency responders to come to her home just three days before the fatal accident. Investigators are now trying to determine if her doctor had instructed her not to drive anymore because it would not be safe in her current medical condition. The newspaper also reported that in September she actually hit a pedestrian in Long Island City, but because the paperwork for the accident wasn't handled properly, there was no investigation. Obviously, if that had been followed up upon, she might not have been driving in early March. Bruns was driving for work on the day of the accident, but neither she nor her employer would comment to the Daily News. Uh, Julie, I don't I don't really have any idea on how to banter about this, but it's, it's just tragic and, uh, all the way around. And even if she is 100% at fault here, which it sure seems like she is, there's still part of me that feels bad for her, obviously not as large of a part as for Ruthie Ann and Lauren's families, but uh, just a, a just a sad story from every imaginable angle. Yeah, I, there's no good words for this or any other part of it. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see what comes out, what they find out, and hope that things are followed through properly. Okay, so in happier news, we have some fundraising news updates. Yeah, moving on to some encouraging things. Yesterday, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS announced that Monday's 13th annual Broadway Backwards raised an impressive $680,273 for BCEFA and the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Community Center in New York City. We've got some highlights from the event and a rundown of the songs performed and by whom uh, in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you want to check it out. And Julie, I've got to say, I did not know that I needed Andrea Martin singing My Girlfriend Who Lives in Canada. Hey, another Canada shout out. Uh, My Girlfriend Who Lives in Canada from Avenue Q. But they just gave us like a couple lines, like 16 bars in that highlights. And now I am dying 
for the full performance of that to be released because just what she gave us was hysterical. I haven't seen anything about that yet. I've just seen the headlines floating around, but haven't clicked yet. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrea Martin can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned, and this is perfect. Do you know Do you know what's cool about me and Andrea Martin? We share a hairstylist. Oh, a hairstylist. I was going to say you're both redheads, uh, but you actually stare, share a stylist, huh? We do, yeah. And we have the same birthday. Do you? We do. You might as well be Andrea Martin. I'm totally the next one. I'm I, up and who coming. Who knew I was co-hosting... <laughs> Today on Broadway with a uh, comedy and musical theater legend. Yeah, here I am. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Sticking with the fundraising theme, yesterday from Broadway with Love announced a benefit concert for the survivors of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School down around Parkland, Florida in February. The concert will take place on Monday, April 16th at the BB&T Center in Sunrise, Florida, and will feature stars like Matthew Morrison, Rachel Bloom, Deborah Cox, Wayne Brady, Noah Galvin, Justin Guarini, Donna Lynn Champlin, Jessica Vosk, Eric Bergen, Christy Altamare, Laura Bell Bundy, Telly Leung, and more. Some of the songs that we performed at the event were written by Stoneman Douglas students in collaboration with New York composers, including Joe Iconis, Bobby Cronin, Zoe Sarnak, Drew Gasparini, and more, with additional songs written solely by the students themselves. Additionally, there will be a special performance by the dance troupe that victim Jamie Gutenberg belonged to. Several Stoneman Douglas students will also speak at the event as well. Approximately 10,000 tickets have already been donated to the families of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School students and staff, and net proceeds raised after royalties and artist fees have been waived will be donated to the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Victims Fund and Shine MSD, which benefits arts advocacy in the Parkland, Florida community. Tickets are now on sale via Ticketmaster. If you need more information, we will have the link in the show notes. Now, Julie Broadway Radio friend and my friend uh, Robbie Rizel is involved with this as Broadway Records, which is his employer, is one of the producers. Um, so I, I'm thinking about driving down to see this. It's about a three hour drive for me and it's on a Monday night, so it's a little tough. But I, I'm thinking about driving down there and I'm hoping I sent Robbie a, a message today about maybe getting some interviews. If I go, he's a little busy because he's have he has his latest uh, 54 Sings Alice in Wonderland concert on Tuesday night. So I hope that went well. But I'm hoping that we can bring you some interviews uh, from that event later this month here on Broadway Radio. That'd be very cool, especially if you can single out the people who are from that area. I know Atai Benson yeah. from The Band's Visit is going to be there. And yeah. he had mentioned on Twitter that he attended... Marjorie Stoneman's rival high school. Oh, wow. And so I know there are a lot of people who are closer to this than you would think. And I'm so glad that they're doing something where everyone can support it and give back in a way. Yeah, I was fortunate enough when uh, From Broadway with Love did their concert here in Florida and in, in Orlando uh, a couple years ago following the shooting at the Pulse nightclub. I was able to talk to a lot of the stars uh, who were there for that at the Dr. Phillips Center and do that press room. Um, and they just all were so giving and so lovely. So uh, hopefully uh, I'll get down there and, and get to, to talk to the people who are giving their time on a, on a Monday night, a dark night for Broadway, heading down to, uh, to, to give back to this worthwhile cause. Now, finally, Julie, in this little mini charity fundraising section, yesterday, uh, our employer, Broadway World, put out an article which may or may not have similarly appeared elsewhere. I'm not sure. I don't really look at our competition all that often. But anyway, um, this article ran through 
what a good chunk of Broadway shows would be selling and auctioning in an effort to raise funds uh, raise funds for BCEFA's Easter Bonnet competition. The annual event will take place Monday, April 23rd and Tuesday, April 24th. If you want to see the complete list, head over to the show notes. Now, I will tell you, Julie, I know you have a uh, an obsession. I think that's fair to say at this point with the band's visit. I love it. I know they are si- they are selling signed window cards for $60, signed playbills for $40. Um, other things include um, you can get the Evan cast at certain performances at Dear Evan Hansen for, uh, at, as part of an auction. Hamilton is selling signed company posters, um, including some that are signed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, the things from Lion King, Once on This Island, School of Rock, and so many more. So check that out. That's very cool. There was um, some of these things. I actually got some of these things while I was in town a couple weeks ago. So very cool. Okay, so what do we have in show and casting news yesterday? Julie, I think you're going to like this first story. See if you can Ooh. follow along with uh, with the theme here. Yesterday, San Francisco's American Conservatory Theater announced the first season under new incoming artistic director Tony winner Pam McKinnon. The season will begin in September with Lynn Nottage's Sweat, and then will be followed by Jacqueline Backhouse's Men in Boats, or Men on Boats, Edward Albee's Seascape, which McKinnon will direct, Lauren Yee's The Great Leap, Mofaniso Udofia's Her Portmanteau, Kate Hamill's Vanity Fair, and one more show which will be announced soon. Season subscriptions are now on sale to ACT's season. They start at $98 and go up to $693. Now, Julie, there was a theme with most of those shows, not all of them, um, but there was a theme there. Did you pick up on what the theme was to Pam McKinnon's first season at ACT? Yeah, rock on. They're all women writers. That's amazing. Yeah, Edward Albee is not a woman, but Pam well, McKinnon but is directing But she will direct, that. so it's basically her story now. I don't, I don't know that that's how that works. But um, <laughs> every other play that's been announced is written by a female playwright, which I think is fantastic and wonderful. Um, we don't know what this final show will be, but I think that's a great way for one of the great female directors to take over this esteemed company out in California. And I, uh, I think that's a, a really great thing for everybody out in San Francisco. All right. And next up in this section here, Julie, yesterday, the Hollywood Reporter reported that U.S. District Judge Alvin Hellerstein has denied a motion for summary judgment in the lawsuit, which was filed by the heir of French playwright. Oh, Lord, you got to help me. How do you say this name in French here, Julie? Marcel Moret. There you go. Okay. I actually looked it up and now I forgot. So Marcel Moret. Uh, Okay, good. Um, Was filed by the heir of French playwright Marcel Moret against Terrence McNally and the producers of the Broadway musical Anastasia. The suit claims that 20th Century Fox licensed Moret's 1954 play for its 1956 and subsequent 1997 films but didn't actually have a license for any future stage productions. Now, of course, Anastasia is, at the very least, a work of semi-historical fiction, which raises questions over whether or not a copyright can even be claimed in this situation. To that end, Judge Hellerstein wrote, quote, Even in the realm of historical work, and especially in cases involving historical fiction, the right to build on a prior author's work is not absolute. Put differently, to the extent that plaintiffs seek to assert copyright protection over the historical underpinnings of the play, their claim must fail. But the fictionalized elements that are built on top of the historical skeleton 
are subject to copyright protection, and these fictionalized elements form the basis of plaintiff's claim. Now, this decision does not mean that the judge has found McNally, who wrote the book of the musical, and the producers libel or at fault or anything, just that there is enough of a legal argument for the pursuit or for the suit to proceed to trial. McNally, whose lawyers filed this motion for summary judgment, claims that he, quote, was unaware of the licensing history. If you are a legal nerd and much smarter than me, we will have a link in the show notes where you can read the entirety of Hellerstein's opinion. All right, Julie, I, I before we started recording, I gave you a challenge. I originally had some recommendations here at the end of the show that I was going to talk about and kind of razz you about and try to get people on my side about. But considering we got in a heated argument on Twitter last night. Oh, we actually fought about it. <laughs> oh, we fought about it earlier this week, too. I was going to talk about the videos in which Broadway companies were honoring the 75th anniversary of Oklahoma by singing songs from the show. Frozen. Oh, no, still do, do that. You should still do that. No, no, no. I, I don't want to cause fights. I don't want to fracture our friendship here. But it's not about me. It's about Oklahoma. You have to celebrate Oklahoma. Yes, but you think... Oh, anyway, whatever. We're not going to do this right now. Um, <laughs> but so I was going to do those videos. I'm not going to do those videos. But I asked you to come up with a recommendation of some sort to fill in the hole at the end of this show. Since we were very newsy and kind of sad, we need something to pick us up. So do you have a recommendation to end the episode on a positive note? Yes. I recommend that everyone watch those Oklahoma videos. <laughs> okay. I won't tell them what you said about my love of Oklahoma. Also, a video was recently was released yesterday of Kelly O'Hara helping the Yankees kick off their first home game with a performance of the national anthem. So I yes. would definitely recommend you check that out because Kelly O'Hara can do no wrong. Yes, except for the fact that she's been booked to be on This Week on Broadway multiple times and has never actually appeared. But that's the only thing she can do wrong. Other than that, she's perfect. So I will, have the, I will have the frozen video of the cast uh, singing, ooh, they sang Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, and then Margaritaville's cast with Jimmy Buffett sang uh, Surrey with a Fringe on Top, I think, and then Kelly O'Hara singing the Star Spangled Banner as well. So those will all be in the show notes to get you through your hump day on a positive note. All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMATT and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Julie, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Julie Musbeck. Go check me out if you want to find out how many times I've seen the band's visit because I admitted it on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to go through, if you're going to do that, you have to go through and not just look at your posts, but look at your replies. Those are different. Or just so that... look at the band's visit page because they oh, retweeted yeah. me. They so now retweet. it's really out there. Yeah, it's a fish. It's totes a fish. 